time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome back to the Thrivology Podcast. Right now, we're in the middle of a series about how to build a thriving body, how to have a thriving body. As I talked about in the introduction last week, this really comes out of my own place of realization that I was not in a thriving body. And as much as I'd been studying about how to thrive in life and how to have a positive attitude and all those other pieces of resilience... I wasn't living a thriving existence in my own body. And so what I realized through an illness, a life-threatening illness a number of years back, was that I needed to change my approach to my body because my body is what was going to take me through life and allow me to thrive and help others thrive. The same is true for you. Whatever that place of thriving is for you, whether it's in your job or whether it's in your family or as a spouse or as a friend or as a hobbyist or some uh, some other place in life, your body is what takes you through that. And so we want to make up sure we're focusing on how to take care of that body. Today is really the first content piece of that. Last week, I was just kind of telling you how I got here. And so today I wanted to talk about what I consider to be a, a foundational piece, and that is how you fuel your thriving body. In other words, what do you put in your body? And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I got to this place, and then we're going to have some specific talks about what to do, how to move forward with your own piece of that puzzle. This is about what you eat. Now, why is that a primary piece? Well, If you're putting bad stuff in your body, the fuel is going to break down when you're trying to do anything else. So if you're trying to exercise, but you're not nourishing your body, you're not making progress. You're not making the kind of progress you can get. Now, I am not one of those that believes that your body is a fine-tuned machine that needs the exact piece. You know, I really do think that um, you, you have some parameters from which you can operate. Now, that's the good news and the bad news. The reason it's the good news is because I think there's a latitude of places where you can fuel your body. The bad news is that our diet doesn't catch up with us immediately. There are some repercussions for what happens when we keep putting the kind of the junky stuff in our body. It's kind of like with a car. You know, you don't have to have the high test all the time, but if you're always going to that cheap little uh, gas place down the road that kind of junks up their, their gas and then suddenly you have fueled up or fouled up fuel system, shouldn't be any surprise. So at some point we have to have a moderate level of, of the good stuff. You don't, I'm not asking you to do a macro diet, but what I am asking you to do is be aware of the fact that what you put in your body is the fuel of your system. If you think of that whole mechanism within you, and obviously it's organic, but think about that whole mechanism within you that's trying to get that fuel. In fact, that was one of the shifts that I realized. I realized that a lot of us have gotten in our culture into a place where we really are living to eat. And as many people have said before, it's time to switch that and realize we're eating to live, that we've got to change the perspective on that. That doesn't mean you have to be all boring with what you eat and you don't have to, you can't enjoy your food, but having some ways of, of deciding what's going to be a healthy type of fuel versus a, a, a less healthy and maybe even destructive type of food makes a big difference. So let me tell you a little bit about how I got to this place and see how that fits with your own story with food. 
I grew up in a family where I was taught to clear my plate. And, uh, you know, I remember the Clean Plate Club. And I was always a charter member of that clean plate club, not only the first plate, but the second plate. And, and I could eat a lot of food growing up and I did eat a lot of food growing up. And, and part of that, uh, was good because I learned to eat a variety of foods and part of it was good because I learned not to be wasteful. But what I didn't realize is that sometimes I was eating more food than necessary and not necessarily the kind of foods that I needed to. And during college, as most people do, we got, I got into some bad habits of the, the type of food. So fast foods were easy to grab and, you know, so easy to move forward with. And so I continued that pattern. And what I didn't realize was I also developed uh, a certain association with sugar. We can call it addiction or something else, but I didn't really realize it. The reason I didn't realize it is because I wasn't always going for the sweets. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, about how we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we're not all about sugar when I believe that we really are often about sugar. So what happened in my life was for a long time, I just ate and and went along my life, not thinking much about the fuel I was putting in. And then when I got sick, it wasn't that I necessarily ate myself to illness, but I realized one day looking back particularly, that I'd allow myself to get overweight. You know, I'd rationalize in my mind, my waist was expanding, but that's just the part of growing older, I thought, that, you know, as you get older, that's just the natural state of things. And so I allowed the weight to put on and put on and put on. And what did I do? I would buy bigger clothes and hide it in some ways because there's a part of me that knew that wasn't where I needed to be, but I kept allowing that to happen. So now I look back on these pictures of me with my family and I'm overweight and puffy and not in good shape. And I look back and realize that, boy, I really had allowed that to get out of hand. And I think that happens with a lot of us, that some ways we stop noticing as those pounds come on a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and we rationalize and justify and pretty soon we're at a place where we're overweight and taxing our body. And so at some point, I realized that that was the case. I'd been sick and realized that I needed to do something different, but I'd already tried some stuff before that. You know, I'd gone to Weight Watchers and I realized that wasn't a match for me. And I tried uh, several different uh, kind of diets that were on the market at that point, the books, and I tried to follow them. And sometimes I'd have a little success, but I'd always get away from it. I'd always gain back that weight. And so there was that seesawing that you often hear about. So now I get to this place where we, I decide I need to do something a little more drastic. And so my, fa- my wife and I, uh, we decided that we needed to, to be vegetarian. And so I did vegetarian for a while. Well, the problem with vegetarian was that I didn't lose a whole lot of weight, but I also was growing more and more tired. It wasn't for me. Now, I'm not saying there's anything against vegetarianism or any other style of eating. There are a lot of people who make choices based on uh, whatever it might be. It may be an ethical stance or it may be just some other piece. But for me, it didn't work. And, and so I'm not saying don't do it. In fact, everything that I talk about today and how to eat, you can do from a vegetarian perspective. It's just that it didn't work for me. So there I was recovering, trying to figure out what to do, trying to get in better shape, as I talked about in that intro. And so I was exercising and realizing I didn't really want to mess up what I was doing to exercise by putting bad stuff in me. And so I was looking for another way of doing it. 
At about that time, uh, Tim Ferriss, who you may know from lots of different places on the internet, but The 4-Hour Workweek was one of those books that helped me rearrange how I worked my life to be a little more efficient. And he came out with The 4-Hour Body. And in The 4-Hour Body was his slow-carb diet. You can find that on the internet. That's the first place where I really found some help. One of the rules of the slow-carb diet is to stop eating anything that is white or could be white. That means flour, rice, uh, all of those white grains, anything that you sugar for sure, all the things that are white or could be white. So I took those out of my diet. I also changed over from those simple carbs, which is what the white things are, to complex carbs, and the place of that would be legumes. So lots of beans, that's, that's part of that program. And, you know, it really was very effective for me in losing weight. There was one piece, though, that wasn't working. Uh, Tim calls for a, um, a cheat day. Um, it's a day where you can eat whatever you want in as much quantity as you wanted. So what was happening on this diet? And I remember it very distinctly because it was so... Uh, unrattling to me. It, it really just rattled my, my whole perspective of myself. I would be sitting in a session with a client and I would be imagining cookies and pies. And I don't even like pies and cake and all of these sweet things so much so that it would be very distracting and I would have to make myself get back to it. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, Tim's uh, way of dealing with that is as you write those things down and on your cheat day, you have all of those things. So on my cheat day, I would have all of these things and I would feel absolutely miserable for a couple of days after. I blamed it on all of the sweets and the sugar and I think that was a piece of it. But I also had discovered something else or something else had, had become uh, an awareness for me is that during the week when I was following the diet, my stomach was feeling better. It had always hurt, but I had never noticed it because it had drifted to the background. But now, in the midst of changing my diet, something was happening and, and my body, my gut was healing until cheat day. And then it was feeling awful again. So what was happening in the process was I was detoxing from simple carbs. And what my mind was trying to do was what any addict mind does, any addicted mind does. It tries to trick you into getting the fix again. It happens if you try to stop anything that's addictive. I just didn't recognize that sugar had such a hold on me and my brain. It had hijacked my brain. And so my brain was trying to get what it wanted in that sugar because sugar burns quick in the body. And so it's easy to get that energy jolt. And I had gotten used to that. So a couple of things happened along the way. One is I broke my addiction to sugar, which uh, really opened my eyes to how much that addiction had been fueled uh, by my food choices and fueled by the, the food industry. The other thing that happened was this whole gut piece. So I decided I had to find another way of eating. And I looked around and I found what has been called the paleo diet or the primal diet. And what I basically do now is pretty much follow that. Now, a lot of people have a lot of controversy around the primal diet, and there are some really good reasons for that because it's been uh, kind of typified as being overly about meat. And let me just suggest that that's a caricature. It's not really what the paleo diet is about. The paleo diet, at its essence, 
is trying to get us away from simple carbs, particularly sugar, and the destruction that the sugar does to us, and get us back to simpler foods on the theory that our body hasn't evolved as fully as we might pretend to take in all the chemicals and all the simple carbs that we want to. And so that's the piece that began to make sense to me. Because when I was eating paleo, my stomach was better and my body was less inflamed and less puffy and I was losing weight just what, like I was on Tim's diet. Then one day, something happened that forever changed how I understood me and food. We were driving to the beach. I remember it so well. We were driving to the beach and it had been some time since I'd had um, just, you know, dessert or, or something like that. And I'd gotten past that uh, craving for sugar that I'd been experiencing. And we stopped at, at a McDonald's and my wife uh, got a couple of chocolate chip cookies and she couldn't eat all of it. And so she, she said, hey, do you want it? And now that little piece of the clean plate club from my childhood kicked up and I said, well, there's no reason to waste it. I'll, I'll just go ahead and eat the cookie. And so I ate the cookie. And about 15 minutes later, my stomach started turning and hurting and, and began to grab at me and cramp. And within half an hour, I was miserable and I could not figure out what it was. Well, we were headed to vacation and so as we were driving along and I was trying to figure out why my stomach was hurting so much, I realized it had nothing to do with the sugar and everything to do with the fact that I had a sensitivity to gluten that I had never known before. And so while at the beach, I tested it. And, and how do you test that? Well, I ate a piece of bread and I watched the effect. It was within a half an hour. I was immediately cramping up. And then I realized that while I had changed away from uh, the the uh, four-hour body diet, the slow-carb diet, to a primal or paleo diet, what really was making me feel better was I was no longer on cheat days. I no longer had cheat days, but I no longer was consuming a large amount of gluten on those days. And that really was what was getting me. So the first lesson I learned was that maybe the slow-carb would have worked had I not had to do a cheat day. But the second one was I now needed to be aware that I had some sensitivity to food that I'd never uh, said. I'd always pretended like I could eat anything. You know, I'd eat spicy food with no effect. I would eat pretty much anything I wanted. But part of it was because I always had a, a kind of a low-grade pain. So I stopped that uh, gluten. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy about it. I truly believe that there is a broad spectrum of sensitivity to lots of foods, gluten being one of them, but there are others like soy or sesame or nuts or lots of other things that can create difficulties for you without you recognizing them because they're a regular part of your diet. And so part of my task has been to figure out what makes me feel good when I eat and what makes me feel bad when I eat. And I think that's a, a task for all of us to, to test, to figure out how that goes. And so part of what happened in this process was I did break my immediate addiction to sugar. And I can tell you that when I eat sugar, say my kids are home and so I'm eating more ice cream, it grows again. It's not something that we can naturally break. I have realized that our body is designed to crave that sugar because our ancestors would not have gotten first refined sugar or second in any amount that we get now. So they would have been craving an immediate hit of, of something, which where would they have gotten at that point? Fruit. 
How much would fruit be available at any time in our ancestors' past? Only for a very limited window. And so our inborn place of, of craving that sugar would never have been a big issue because it would not have been constantly available. Now we have it around us all the time and it does some very nasty things to us. So sugar, I believe, is way more addictive than we have recognized. I had an experience at the tail end of this. I'd kind of broken my addiction and I was at a church uh, on, on a church youth uh, dinner and they had mistakenly asked people to bring too many bags of chips. And so we had some side dishes and then a pile of chips. And so we were doing a murder mystery and they just decided to put the chips on the table. I was watching people and you would have thought that they were some um, illegal drug addicts that had just had that their favorite drug thrown on the table in front of them. They put down these bags and I watched people glaze over as they were grabbing the chips and the pretzels and all of these other things and ripping them open and digging into them. And I could see everybody around the table salivating and the parents saying to their kids, oh, don't eat too much. It'll ruin your meal. And the kids continuing to eat them and the parents continuing to eat them. And I was watching at that moment, a surreal experience of the addictive nature of those snacks. So while you're thinking to yourself, I don't really like those sugary things. I'm more about salt. I will tell you that the salt that we get is on sugar. If you eat chips, if you eat pretzels, if you eat anything that comes in a bag as a snack, it immediately hits your stomach and turns to sugar. So whether you're eating sweet stuff or salty stuff, if it's a snack, it's likely going straight to sugar in your system. And so we all have very strong attachments to those sugar pieces that we may not even recognize. You may not be eating cookies. You may not be eating candy bars. You may say, well, I'm eating pretzels. That's better for me or popcorn or chips or whatever else. And it's still turning into sugar. So what does that sugar do for our health? Well, there are some pretty well-known uh, reactions in our body that, that hurt us, and there are some that are still under test, but we're pretty clear are going on. For instance, it's pretty well established that diabetes can often have as a, a big piece uh, insulin resistance, and that's all about sugar. So the sugar is coming in your body. Your body is not reacting to it the way it, it best could. So it's not processing it and your blood sugar is going up. And all of that creates uh, a, a dampened response in your pancreas and damage in your system. So diabetes has been tied to uh, too much sugar. There are other reasons. I'm not saying that's the only one, but there's that's that. Also, obesity. So why is sugar tied to obesity? Well, we now know that when sugar is in your, your body, it's a natural signal for your body to store calories. Notice why that might be true with our ancestors. Let's think about when fruit is available during the year. Fruit is available at the tail end of a growing season, basically in the fall. And what happens right after that? We're in kind of a famine mode for a few months. And so it makes sense that our body would use sugar as a trigger to store more and more calories as a way of making sure that we've padded our system. We've protected ourselves for the coming cold months when there might not be so much food. The problem is now we have that sugar supply all year long. And so our body never goes through the famine phase that would have thinned it out again. 
And so what we notice is that sugar is tied to our body storing those extra calories. Even if it's the same stuff, the extra calories are getting stored. So we have now diabetes and obesity. And by the way, obesity contributes to the diabetes because it blunts our system's response. The next thing we now know is that Alzheimer's and other dementias are likely to be exacerbated at least by sugar in the system. In fact, there are some researchers that believe that Alzheimer's should be considered to be diabetes type 3. And there are others who are beginning to treat Alzheimer's symptoms with diabetes drugs because as it tamps down how the body's dealing with sugar, it changes the brain also. So now we have some tie-ins. It's not been definitively defined, but at least some tie-ins to the fact that, that one of the contributing factors to dementia and Alzheimer's in particular may be our sugar consumption. Then there is another one, and that is the fact that cancers seem to feed off of glucose, of sugar in our system. So while sugar may not be causing cancer, it may be accelerating the tumor growth. In fact, there is some research that some tumors will shrink when somebody stops their sugar intake, greatly reduces their, their intake because it's no longer feeding the tumor. Now that's still kind of on the cutting edge, but that's at least one of those other pieces of, of asking the question, is the sugar worth it? There's one other piece that we all get when we eat sugar, and that is inflammation in the system. A small amount of sugar is no big deal. A piece of fruit, something like that is no big deal. But our body is not designed to process the level of sugar we're putting into our system these days. It's coming at us from all angles. And so it creates an inflammatory response in our system. Inflammatory responses are all about scarring in the body, particularly in the blood vessels. And so part of what we know is that the inflammation can lead to other issues in our body. So here's where things get kind of tricky. The food industry somehow has gotten us to believe that carbs are should be our primary source of energy. And yet we are now hearing that carbs are creating all these other problems. The problem is carbs are cheap, carbs are tasty, carbs are addictive, and carbs are dangerous. And so we have to decide how to move away from this carb orientation. The problem is many of us, including myself, were raised to believe that fat was the enemy. And so we stopped eating butter and replaced it with margarine, only to find that margarine is highly destructive and inflammatory on our system, and butter is much better. And we went to unsaturated fats, you know, so all the seed oils uh, like canola and others and corn oil, rather than the saturated fats, because there was a belief that saturated fats uh, lead to heart disease. That's been completely disproven, and it turns out the unsaturated fats are the dangerous ones to our system. So we have this built-in belief and reaction that fat is bad, but fat's just a fuel source. There are really three fuel sources from your food, protein, fat, or carbs. That's about it. Everything else can be nutrients or waste, but those are the three fuel sources. So we need to begin to change our orientation away from carbs. And whenever you hear carbs, hear sugar. Complex carbs break down slower, but it's still a sugar. And so when you get to simple carbs, just think sugar. Whatever those pieces are, think sugar. So we need to begin to change that and begin to think about what are the healthy fats for us and what are, are how can we put that in our diet in healthy ways. 
So I believe that the primary ways we look at fuel, number one is healthy fat. Number two is lean meats, not luncheon meats, not processed meats, but lean meats. Number three, there's veggies because when it's a veggie form of a carbohydrate, guess what? It's complex by nature. And so our body breaks that down a little more slowly. And fresh fruit in moderation because then we're back to a simpler piece. And so if you really want to look at, at a, a simple way of thinking about where you're getting your your calories from, start with healthy fats, followed quickly by lean proteins follow quickly by uh, veggies and then far down is the meats and you'll be in good shape if you just follow that. So let's talk about some primary takeaways. Number one, let me just suggest that you consider cutting out all soft drinks. I stopped soft drinks now I think eight years ago. Um, I've had one soft drink since then that was given to me by a congregation while I was in India, and I decided that it was worth it to display hospitality, so I had that soft drink, and that's been it. That was a huge changer for me when I realized all of the empty calories I was getting out of soft drinks, and all that soft drink was doing to my system, I realized it wasn't a good thing. So I would say consider cutting out soft drinks juices and sweetened drinks as a first step in anything because that's putting the unnecessary load on your liver and all the rest of your body to process that sugar and it's just sending it straight into your system and let me just say that includes diet drinks the latest research shows that our body responds the same way to a diet drink as it does to a sugar drink. It's the same exact response. And so in some cases, it's even an exacerbated response. But you have to decide what you're going to do. I know for me, getting away from that was very healthy. I've talked with other doctors who say, man, if I could just get my patients to stop that, so much would change for them. So consider letting go of soft drinks and, and, and other juices. You know, we talk about fruit juices and, and people have come to believe that fruit juice would be a healthy thing, right? Because it's from fruit. The problem is it gets rid of all of the solids in the fruit that slows down the absorption in your body of the sugar. So now you're just pumping the sugar straight into your system with nothing that's going to be processed. So oftentimes a juice drink is worse than a soft drink in the load of, of sugar but always the way it processes, that fructose processes very quickly in our liver as a kind of a dangerous substance, overwhelms the liver. Sweetened drinks are the same thing. So I'll, I'll see a lot of people doing the Gatorade and uh, other these other drinks that are kind of the power drinks and things like that, not recognizing that they're probably not putting in the physical stuff in order to need those extra calories and sugar and all it's replacing. So what happens? we end up taking in all of the sugar under the guise of, you know, a refreshing drink. And, and so what do you change to? Well, there are some uh, unsweetened drinks, uh, water being the primary one. Uh, but uh, some people have also discovered that unsweetened tea is tasty and gives you antioxidants and coffee too. Coffee more and more, at least the non-sweetened, non, -sweetened, non um, frappuccinoed type drinks are great for antioxidants. So just consider whether maybe you try that for a month or so. Also, how about switching uh, to uh, healthier alternatives for your snacks? What that would mean is you look at the, the snacks and say, am I just getting simple carbs? 
my snacks used to be chips and I would think good stuff for myself for eating pretzels and things like that. What I've realized is a better choice for me are nuts, uh, lots of different nuts and uh, something like a jerky, uh, some beef jerky or something like that, that helps get me protein and fats. Those are, those are the changes. Um, do I uh, miss those chips? Not anymore. Because I realized that what was pulling me towards the chips was really an underlying addiction. The next thing I would say is look for the hidden sugars. If you're telling yourself you're eating salty stuff, not sweet stuff, that's a hidden sugar. If you're eating sweets and carbs, you know that you're taking in that sugar. So that muffin or, or those a roll or something like that, just recognize that those are hidden sugars because they are simple carbs. Then look at your drinks. Are you ordering those fancy drinks that have lots of, uh, of stuff in them? Recognize that those are huge places of hidden sweets. And then there's another one that for some people will find very, very painful. But alcoholic drinks are pure sugar in your system. Remember that alcohol is simply a sugar. And so when you drink uh, an alcoholic beverage, you are taking sugar in. Recent research is showing that even uh, a small a drink a day leaves some inflammation in your body. And the reason that the inflammation is in your body is because of that sugar. So if you decide to take this on and try to change that, you just want to look at that pattern and recognize that that's another hidden source of, uh, of the sugars that are going into your system. One of the big places that we make, uh, in the U.S. anyway, a mistake on how we start our day is breakfast. So many breakfasts have become very carb-driven. Pancakes and waffles and Pop-Tarts and muffins and all of these other pieces, bagels, they are all pure carbs. And so consider whether you might switch to a protein-oriented breakfast, a great way to start the day. And protein-oriented would be eggs and, and some uh, lean meat, or uh, you can find other alternatives. If you look around the world, you'll see plenty of alternatives for a protein-based breakfast. And the reason that changes things is that then you're not starting your day off with an alcohol, with a sugar load. Um, the other place is to bring in some healthy fats in there. So having an avocado in the morning or something like that is a great way of bringing in a healthy fat and starting your day off differently. Also consider going for more whole foods. What I always look for now is what is, are the minimal number of ingredients that should be in something? If you look on the back when you're in the store, you'll notice all of the number of ingredients and you want to stay with a minimal number of ingredients and you want to make sure that you can actually pronounce those ingredients because you're putting that in your body. You're either putting in the whole foods or the chemicals and we have to decide which one is more helpful for us. And one way of thinking about this is think of the, the perimeter of a grocery store. The perimeter of a grocery store usually includes the veggies and the fruit and the meats and, you know, the, the other nice places like cheese, right? That is another source of some pretty decent fat for you. And so think of the perimeter of that. When you get to the middle sections, then you're into risky area because they tend to be the ones that are so heavy, heavily laden with chemicals and other pieces. So, Frozen foods are on the edge, so you can find some nice frozen veggies that are good and other pieces, but try to stay on the perimeter and watch the back. If it has too many ingredients, be careful of it. If it are, is ingredients that you cannot pronounce, be careful of it. That doesn't mean you can cut out all the chemicals in your diet anymore, but think about that. 
Also, let me suggest to you that you at least consider the Whole30 diet. Whole30 diet is an elimination diet. It's pretty strict. It gets rid of all of the foods that might be causing you trouble that you don't even know about. Now, I can tell you that my family, not all of us, are gluten sensitive. My wife stopped gluten with me and realized it made no difference for her. My father has no difficulties with gluten. He can eat bread and all those other things and have no problem. But my mother found that she was very gluten sensitive. My brother found he was very gluten sensitive. And we discovered that his daughter is highly gluten sensitive. And the only reason they found it is because they decided to go gluten free too and to notice the effects. And so it may not be gluten for you. It may be soy. It may be sesame. It may be a lots of other ingredients that you don't know are causing a disturbance until you stop. So the whole 30 diet idea is to get away from all of that and try something more pared down that's going to be safe to eat. They've already figured out the food you can eat. So check out the whole 30 diet on the internet. And let me just say right now, I'm not here to sell a product. I'm not here to suggest any particular thing as much as to say, look at these. I'm not selling anything. I'm only trying to say this made a difference for me. And there are some other resources out there that you might find beneficial. Also, just want to clearly say I'm not a dietitian. I am not a trained physician. I am a life coach who has gone through a transformational experience in my life. And all I want to do is share that with you. So take my advice with a grain of salt. If you think you should be listening to a life coach for food advice, listen away. But make sure that you're at least thinking about the diet and the food you're putting into your system. One of the things I want you to think about are your primary fuels. Are you taking in good protein? Not just protein but good protein. Are you taking in healthy fats? And I will tell you that for me, the three biggest healthy fats I consume are coconut oil, olive oil, and avocados. Those are three biggies. There's some others, but those are the big ones that I try to get into my system. Uh, and uh, that's that for me has worked very well. They're healthy fats. They've been proven to be. They're different levels of that. So think about that. Also, you get some places where there are some great combinations of protein and fat. For instance, fatty salmon, right? The salmon has a nice level of healthy fat to it and a good protein. So begin to think about what you're putting in there. Proteins that are good for you, fats that are healthy, and then secondarily, complex carbs. Where do you find the complex carbs? Mostly in veggies, whole veggies. And when you get to the place where you're looking at those simple ones, just remind yourself of the effect the sugar has. Now, let me be clear that I don't believe that any food is the enemy, and I don't even believe that any company is the enemy. But I do believe that we have missed some things along the way. And this is just meant to help you. I wish you the best. Think about that fuel thing. And we'll talk more next week about the next step. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.